Wonderful to be able to sing these truths that we all affirm together, isn't it? Um, there's some, even this morning, there was uh, one of the songs, I, I just wasn't in a place where I could sing the words, but to hear the congregation sing for me and to affirm the truths that I was feeling in my heart, but I, just, I couldn't bring myself to express them. It's such a beautiful thing. That's one of the beautiful things about corporate worship and why we gather together in person to sing songs, not just to the Lord, but to one another, to affirm these truths together, to encourage one another. And so for each one of you that are here this morning that sang, you were a gift to me this morning, so I thank you for that. I, I pray that at different times we can just bless one another as we come together and sing. So we find ourselves here now at uh, Labor Day weekend. And uh, you know what that means? Kids are about to go back to school. Parents are wagging their tails, <laughs> a little bit excited for that. Um, the leaves are about to change color. Pumpkin spice is everywhere. For some, we love that. For others, it's like, why, why, what's with... We already have enough sugar in all of our coffees, don't we? Now we're going to add another two pumps of pumpkin spice into it. But uh, we find ourselves at Labor Day weekend. And um, does anyone know when Labor Day actually became a holiday in Canada? Any history buffs out there? It was earlier than I thought. It's actually 1894. More, longer than uh, any of us here can be around to... Uh, to tell me that I'm wrong about. I have no one experienced when Labor Day first came into Canada, but uh, 1894. And uh, the origins trace back to 20 years earlier, 1872, um, labor disputes in Toronto. And uh, in 1872, there was the Trade Unions Act that confirmed the legality of unions. And so workers were able to um, have more rights than I guess they, they were. And that's why in Canada, 1892, it, it became an official holiday. Work and labor has always been a part of our life. We, just, we can't separate ourselves from work, can we? we? We have to work. We don't have a choice. In order to make a living, to provide for our families, we need to work. And we live in a culture, though, that, that, that encourages us, I think, to have an unhealthy um, relationship with work. Many people end up making a god of their work as a result of this. You know, you meet someone for the first time, and what's, what's one of the first things they ask you? Well, what do you do, right? Very quickly after maybe they ask you your name, what do you do? Our identity is tied up in our work and what we do. Uh, it becomes an idol then as well in many of our lives just because we spend so much time doing it. We wanna be good at it, we wanna be the best, we wanna continue to move up. One of the new phrases that uh, you hear around there uh, from time to time is hustle culture, right? This is something that we should do. We should be hustling in our work. Uh, it's the idea of putting work above all else, that you're just never leaving it at the workplace. It means long hours in front of your computer. It means you're carrying around your phone, and even outside of work hours, you're, you're feeling the need to respond to work texts or work emails. Just, you can never leave it at the office. And we feel like we need to do that because of the hope that our culture offers us is that we would rise up the corporate ladder, we would get a better job, we would get uh, more people respecting who we are because we would have a greater position. And so we're just forced to have this unhealthy relationship where work, work, work is what we're all about and our identity, identity becomes so tied into that. 
And it's not just for those who want to climb the ladder. Everyone needs to work. And sometimes you feel like you need to hustle like this just to keep the job you have because you feel like someone behind you might be coming for your job if you're not hustling. We have to ask ourselves the question, were we made to go, go, go? Is this is where we find our health and our purpose and go, go, go? Well, I don't think we were made to do that. And, and actually, I think culture is realizing this as well. I came across an article this week in Forbes.com. So Forbes is a secular business magazine. And uh, the title of the article was How Hustle Culture May Hurt Your Career. And they said concerning hustle culture, your brain and your body weren't built to handle the physical and psychological stressors of continual hustling. So we weren't made, we weren't wired by God to constantly be doing this. It says there are other more holistic ways to measure your worth. This isn't coming from a, a pastor, or this isn't a, a Bible verse here, this is secular culture saying we live in an unhealthy way of doing work. So we recognize this, but, but what do we do? Where do we go to? We often end up feeling so tired and burdened as a result of this work. But tiredness and burdenness, it doesn't just come from work. That's one of the main ways we experience it, and we can remember that on Labor Day weekend. We need to rest. The government gives us one extra day to do that. Um, but there's gotta be something more to that. But there's not just work that burdens us down. There's many things that make us feel tired and exhausted in life. You know, some of us as young parents, you would just think it's, it's exhausting raising kids. Some of you have teenagers, and it might not be as physically exhausting as those early days of having young kids, but, but just the mental exhaustion of, of worry and, and wondering how they're doing in a time in their life where they less and less want to hear from us as parents. And then there's other people at different stages of life where you're not worried about your kids, but you're more actually now worried about your parents. You know, they're suffering from health concerns and taking care of your parents now has become almost a part-time job. I learned this phrase this week, the sandwich generation. Some of you might find yourselves in this where you're still caring for your kids at home, but you're also worried about your parents. And so you've got it from both sides. You're feeling tired and weary for caring for so many people in your life. And so wherever we find ourselves at this week, we come into Labor Day weekend, and I think we all in some ways, are like, we just feel like we need rest. We just want to experience rest and refreshment. And, and, and where do we turn for this? We could turn to the world, what the world has to offer, you know, the, the, the glitz and the glamour that you see on social media, endless scrolling. When we're tired, we feel like that's one of the easiest things we can go to. But does that actually really help us? Do you feel more refreshed after 15, 20 minutes of scrolling your Facebook or Instagram or whatever else you follow? No, in some ways we feel more discouraged because people aren't posting how things are really going. They're posting how things they desire to show you how it's going. And we feel more tired and exhausted and weary. So then the, the world offers you living for the weekend, drinking, promiscuity, drugs. But does that answer our soul's longings? Do people seem who are in, invested in that kind of living 
be more rest, restful and refreshed. No, we're all just constantly chasing something that's not satisfying. But in preparation for coming to the Lord's table this morning, I want to offer to you something that I've found as a better way <laughs> to find refreshment. It's from the words of our Lord Jesus, who this was read for us this morning, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. I think we can all just hear this and need it this morning. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What an amazing invitation from our Lord on Labor Day weekend. Who is this invitation given out to? Well, look at, at verse 28. All who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, or if you have the NIV, all who are weary and burdened. This is a universal offer of Jesus to everybody. He knows that at times we're going to go through these periods where we feel weary. Again, you might not have come this morning feeling weary, um, but I'm guessing that at some point recently you have felt weary. And at some point again in the future, you're going to feel weary again. Deep down, we all get weary and heavy laden as a result of living in a fallen world. You know, in reality, work, isn't, work alone isn't the issue. If you think back to the creation account, the beginning of Genesis, God creates all things, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it's his creation of, of humanity. We, we meet Adam and Eve, and he gives them work to do. Before Genesis 3 comes and the fall comes, God had his people working. They were working the garden. Work isn't a result of the fall. Work is what God created us to do. Sin entered the world in Genesis 3. And so, as a result of that, it hinders everything that God made, including our work. Tim Keller, he wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor. And if you're thinking, well, how do I relate my work to worship and my calling, I would really recommend this book, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. But he says this, he says, as a result of the fall, you should expect to be regularly frustrated by your work, even if you're in the right vocation. So sometimes we feel frustrated and work, oh, I'm in the right job, I'm in the right place. Well, it's a result of the fall. God can have you exactly where he wants you to be, but as a result of the fall, you might feel frustrated by your work. So we feel this because of the brokenness of our world. We live in a world that is broken, and so we feel weary, we feel heavy laden. Whereas prior to the fall, that wasn't the experience of Adam and Eve. But we also feel weary and burdened because of our own sin. You know, we know deep down inside, we're less than what we should be. And we don't, even to our own standards, we don't meet up to that. And so we feel wearied and burdened as a result of that. You know, sin is anything we think or we say or we do that goes against God's desire for us. We were made to have that perfect relationship with God, but our sinfulness destroys that. And as a result, we feel this restlessness because we're not in right relationship with God as we were created to be. And so the ultimate source of our weariness and burden is this spiritual separation from God, the God who created us and loves us. And so in Matthew 11, Jesus sees the people, they're weary and burdened. 
And what does he offer to them? He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Look at the end of verse 28, I will give you rest. The word we have here that's translated into English, rest, it can also mean refreshment. So the rest that Jesus promises, it's not just that you wouldn't be doing anything, that, you know, I promise you rest of sitting on your couch all day. No, that's not the rest. He's not talking about that. He's talking about refreshment, that we would feel we'd have this healthy relationship between our work and what God has called us to do, but also feel refreshed by it and enjoy it. Jesus doesn't invite us into a, a life of laziness and sloth. He invites us into a true experience of rest and refreshment. And this is who our God is. Our God is a God of rest and refreshment. Again, this shouldn't surprise us. Think back to the creation narrative. It was God himself who worked for six days in creation, and on the seventh day, he rested. Is this because he was tired? Is this because he required a day off so that he could be ready for Monday again? Well, no, it wasn't anything lacking in God. He just wanted to set up in creation not only all the physical things that he created, but also into our weeks, knowing that we work and that we also rest. When we come to Jesus, rest isn't just a side benefit that we hope to get. Rest is who he, he is and, and what he hopes to give to us. Look at the offer of Jesus in verse 29 you will find rest for your souls. When the Bible talks about our souls, it's talking about who we really are. It's deep down, our souls, everything about us in the core of our being. Jesus says you will find rest for your souls there if you come to him. He could, just, he could be saying like you'll find rest for your life. It's not just rest from a circumstance you find yourself in. It's, it's your living in this life of healthy relationship between your labor and your rest. And your rest and refreshment, it, it affects everything in your life so that you can go through and when these things happen, you're in a position of rest, resting in Christ. Jesus wants us to find rest at the center of our being. He wants you not to worry about everything that's happening around you because he is in control of all things. And when we're connected to him, the one who is sovereign over all things, we can rest knowing that everything that comes to us has, all, has to first pass through Jesus, our Lord who loves us, who is gentle and lowly in, in spirit. This is, this is rest that I, I desire in my life. I hope, is it rest that you desire in your life as well? Jesus invites us into this refreshment, just living a life of refreshment. So we find we're often weary and burdened. Jesus looks out, sees us, he offers this to us. So what do we need to do? What does he call us to do here in this passage to experience this rest and refreshment that our souls desire? Well, the first thing is we need to come to Jesus. He says, come to me. There's a step that we need to take toward Jesus here. Jesus isn't, he isn't calling you to church attendance, although I'm glad you're here this morning. He isn't calling you to a doctrine. He's calling to, to himself. He's calling you to a person, to a relationship. He's not, this is, this is one of the things with, that separates Jesus from the other religions of the world. 
He's not calling you to get your life together and then come to him. He's not asking you to bring anything of, of yourself. He's not saying clean up your act first, get yourself together and then come to me. No, he's just calling you to come to him just as you are and to come now and to come to him and him alone. We come to him as a person, not as a doctrine. We don't come physically, like in those days where Jesus was physically walking around, but we come to him spiritually. We commune with him by his spirit. We speak to him in prayer by his spirit and he hears us. And then we open up his word and by his spirit he speaks to us. And we come together congregationally and we sing worship to him. And we, and we see in creation his majesty displayed. We have a relationship with a person who wants to interact with us. And he, one of the reasons why we can come to him is because how he describes himself in this passage. How does Jesus describe himself here in this passage in verse 29? He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart or gentle and humble in spirit. It's good news when we don't have our, our stuff together to come to someone who's gentle. We've probably had experiences where we know we have to come to someone, they're not gonna be gentle because I don't have it all together and I feel shame coming to them. But Jesus invites us as the one self-described gentle and lowly. This is the one that we want to come to, not someone who's harsh and proud. Jesus is gentle and lowly. In his book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland, um, he reflects on these words of Jesus and he says this, for the one who comes to Jesus, his heart of gentle embrace is never outmatched by our sins and foibles and insecurities and doubts and anxieties and failures. For lowly gentleness is not one way Jesus occasionally acts towards others. Gentleness is who he is. It is his heart. He can't ungentle himself toward anyone any more than you and I can change our eye color. It's who we are. And so it is with Jesus. He is gentle and lowly towards you. If you give yourself to Jesus, he will not mistreat you. There's many in a congregation this side who have probably given themselves to someone and they've been mistreated. And now they find it hard to give themselves to anybody again. But that's not the way with Jesus. He is gentle, he is lowly, and he's inviting you to come to him and experience true rest for your souls. How wonderful is that? And in addition to inviting you to come to him, he, he says one more thing in this passage. He says, take my yoke upon you. Well, what does it mean to take a yoke? It's not the egg yoke that he's talking about here. It's the yoke um, that is connected to farming and to plowing a field. And you would see two oxen and they're yoked together with this wooden beam that holds them together. And as they're yoked together, it means they're sharing the load as they move forward and they're able to do what they need to do. They're pulling the plow behind them and they're going in the same direction. So being yoked to someone has this idea that we're sharing our burden with someone and we're going in the same direction. 
Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And this isn't, Jesus isn't offering a yoke that's like a burden, like an ox's yoke. He's saying my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying to you, the things that you're carrying, I want to carry them for you. I want to share that load with you. And the direction you're going, I want to pull you in a better direction, a direction that is good for your soul because I love you and I care for you. I want to be going in the same direction with you and I want to share your burdens with you. You see, sometimes though we, we buck up against that, like the ox perhaps, and say, you know what, I just want to be yoked to myself. But if we do that, we're, we're deceiving ourselves because we're always yoked to something. There's no one here that's not yoked to something or someone. The yoke of the world, the yoke of our work that I've been talking about at the beginning, th these are burdens. This is why it feels so heavy to carry these things. But the yoke that Jesus offers you, he's saying, it's, it's, my burden is light and it's easy and I want to share your burdens with you and carry them with you and bring you into a new direction. Again, we're always yoked to something. Jesus says, come to me and I will carry that burden with you. And he says, learn from me. When we come to Jesus, we are learners. He says, I want to teach you a new way to go forward. You've been going your own way and that hasn't been working out because it isn't the way that I've created you for. But come with me, take my yoke, we'll go in the same direction, and you can learn from me as we're going now on this journey. When Jesus says learn from me, this is the same kind of root word that we get the word disciple from. Disciple's just a learner. You can be a disciple of anything. It's not just a Christian word. People are disciples of all sorts of things. But when we're disciples of Jesus, it means we're learning from Jesus. This is what he invites us into, this life now of learning, of sharing burdens a life of, of ease as we are with him. He wants to carry that for us. When Jesus says, learn from me, he's saying, be my disciple. So being a disciple of Jesus is therefore being a learner. And when we learn from Jesus, we're learning from the very best teacher, the one who cares for us, the one who's gentle and lowly, loves our souls, the one who cares for us. He's not looking to get something from us like everyone else who puts a yoke on you and puts you in a different direction. Jesus is the one who cares for you. And so in this passage, I see, you know what, we are all weary and heavy laden. We can all relate to this experience. The result of our circumstances of our lives, the result of living in a fallen world, we are weary. Jesus comes along. Jesus, who's gentle and lowly of heart, sees us in our weariness, calls us to come out to him. He loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to experience rest and refreshment. He calls us to take on his yoke that we would experience true connection with him. The yoke that he gives us, it's easy and his burden is light. You know, how is that all possible? Well, this is now how we come and we connect to coming to the table this morning of the Lord's Supper. How is it that we... <laughs> broken, sinful, can come to someone like Jesus, perfect. Well, it's because he took our sin upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's an amazing exchange that happens in the gospel of Jesus 
where everything that's dirty and sinful and wrong about the way we are living and experiencing life gets put onto Jesus. He takes that from us. And then his perfect righteousness, his perfect white robes that he has lived and earned is taken off Jesus and put around us. So that now when we stand before God, he doesn't see all the wrong things we have done. He sees the good. He sees the perfect obedience of Christ and he welcomes us in. And Jesus takes everything that we have done wrong and goes to the cross and bears that burden for us. Jesus died paying the penalty for those sins. But because he was God and because he was perfect, sin and death could not hold him. So three days later, it talks about he rose from the dead, literally, physically rose from the dead, defeating sin. Sin has no grasp now over anyone who is in Christ. Sin has the same stranglehold on believers in Christ as it does on Jesus. If you are in Christ, there's there's no sin now within you when God looks at you. This is the beauty of the gospel. The rest now that he offers us is because everything that you need to do to be made right before God has been done by Jesus. And so now you just enter into this rest, trusting in him. What a beautiful exchange the gospel is that we get to experience. Again, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done on our behalf. God made us for himself, Augustine says. And he says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Augustine wrote in one of his prayers, you have made us for yourself, God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. If you're feeling this deep angst and restlessness, it's because you need to come now and give it like Augustine did so long ago to Christ. Last week, uh, I was away. I was preaching at another church, but I just heard it was just a wonderful morning. As so many, as a result of the, uh, the sermon series that we've been preaching through the Gospel of John, And Pastor John brought a gospel message and so many came forward and gave their life to Christ last week. I was so encouraged and so warmed in my heart about that. And my encouragement is that for those of you who may have been thinking about that last week but didn't take that step, you know, today as we come to the table, the offer is still here. It's not just a one-time offer to come forward to receive Christ. But you can find your rest in him. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we're thankful that you have welcomed us to your table. We praise you that you loved us and you did not leave us in our own sins, but you sent your son to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Jesus, we thank you for your invitation to come and to not have everything together before we come to you, but just to come as we are. Jesus, apart from your righteousness, we would be lost in our sins. We would be working, trying to do enough good things, but that would never be enough. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your own life on our behalf to save us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you draw us to Jesus. On our own, our hearts are drawn to the world, but you draw us towards Christ and hold us fast in Christ.
And now, Lord, as we come to the table, may this be a great reminder of the truths of the gospel, that as bread feeds us physically, may this participation at your table feed us spiritually. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.